Hello and welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Joey Green. All right, man, so just tell me a little bit about your background and the environment that you grew up in and all that stuff. Okay. Um, I was um, born in Habersham County, Carswell, Georgia. Uh, my um, mother and dad, uh, my dad was a preacher, and he... Um, he also worked a regular job. He didn't pastor a church, but right. uh, my mother, um, she uh, was a school teacher. My dad worked for State Game and Fish, um, and um, I was raised in a good Christian home. Never heard my mother and dad cuss. Mm. Uh, they don't know what alcohol tastes like still to this day. <laughs> uh, they've been married about 50 years, fixing to be. Wow. And um, so um, I was raised in a good home, and, and when I got to be older, um, both my grandpas also were preachers, and and then I felt uh, at the age of 14, I actually went hunting uh, with a preacher, and I knew he was the type to get down and pray while he, uh, while the dog would hunt, and this was at night time, and and so I had decided, uh, I remember it well, uh, that I would get down and pray with him, and that's the night that I actually asked the Lord to come into my life, and mm. And at the same time, was called to preach. So um, it wasn't long after, a few months after, that I was licensed and then ordained. Uh, at an early age, I remember even in elementary school, uh, I started to deal with some anxiety. Hmm. Um, and as I got up into um, um, high school, uh, I started to deal with some uh, depression and uh, OCD, obsessive uh, hmm. compulsive disorder. What do you and, think? Uh, what do you think sort of started that uh, trend in your, in your life? I really don't know. I, I know that my my dad uh, had suffered with some things, some issues, uh, in his uh, uh, early age, um, and perhaps uh, that was passed down. Um, I, but, I tend uh, to think it's a lot of like life factors and stuff, you know. It does. It does. Uh, a lot of a lot of things is according to what uh, a person is going through. Like I said, I had a great life, but now uh, at this time, me being 49 years old, uh, in the the uh, early 80s uh, uh, and late 80s, uh, anxiety, uh, OCD, depression, a lot of things uh, wasn't talked about as much. So right, uh, uh, especially yeah, if you're a man, so, yeah. <laughs> Pardon right. me. I said, especially if you're a man. Right, right, yeah. right. And so you don't, yeah. And so, and then at that time, you know, it just wasn't discussed a lot. And right. So, you, were, I, I remember thinking, I don't want to be talking to anyone about these things because they're going to think I'm crazy. Yeah. And throw me in a hospital somewhere. Right. And not until you know the early nineties uh, uh, did it start to come out that that there were people having these problems all over. Know it. Right, and so what did that yeah, look like? So, what what did how did that how did struggling with the anxiety sort of uh, manifest in your day to day? You know, well, I I, I tell you what, uh, I, I talked about me being called a preach in an early age, and right. I remember uh, the devil can take things and 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 take God and try to twist it around, and I remember walking through school and. And I didn't want to look at a girl uh, because I was afraid that I would fall over dead and go to hell, hmm. you know. Um, and so I would start. I started obsessing about these things. I remember walking through um, high school uh, down the hallways, looking at the floor, 
or looking at the ceiling and then trying not to let people notice what I was doing. Mm. Uh, one of the things that I, I've done also was uh, I developed a, a, a ritual. It's a ritual is what it is, but feeling for my billfold. Uh, and, and, and even though I would feel it in my back pocket, I would turn to look behind me mm. to see if it was on the floor. And it got so bad that, that uh, when I would leave the house, I remember my teenage years, um, uh, and again, I wasn't discussing this with anyone, right. but I would I would check the stovebys, and uh, a lot of people that uh, uh, has obsessive compulsive disorder uh, has a number, and that number represents something. Right. And so my number just happened to be eight, and um, that was one for each of my family members and uh, my, my immediate family members, uh, mother and dad, grandparents, uncle, so on and so forth. And so anyway, I would check the stovebys, and you know how many stovebys there is usually. Uh, and so I would, I would reach up, and I'd have to t touch it to make sure it was off, take my hand off, and count that as one. Hmm. And then I would touch the next one and check it and see if it was off, take my hand off. And that was one for that. And I would do each stove, each um, uh, each of the controls. I'd touch them, had to take my hand off eight times. Mm. And then checking the door also when I'd leave, I remember I'd have to take it, check it, see if it was locked, take my hand down, put my hand back up, and check it. So it just became uh, just this awful, awful thing that I was living with. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So. I think that's all of that is so uh, so common and probably so much more common than than we even know um just that struggle to begin with now something we talked about before um at the very beginning was you know that i grew up i also grew up with a dad that was a pastor when i was young yeah. and and i felt like i was really under the spotlight uh at all times i probably thought that more than it actually was that way but uh but internally i definitely felt that i was always uh always had you know to keep up the image or whatever and exactly. um, even more than that, I really wanted to, you know, there was, I really was trying to uh, perform. Um, a lot of it was for positive reasons, you know, I really was trying to do right. And it's this weird thing where, you know, church will say that it's not about what you do, it's not about your actions or whatever. Um, and then in the next breath, they'll tell you like, Oh, but that doesn't mean that this is a license to go do whatever you want. Right, <laughs> and so, right, what right. they're which undercuts the first point: either you can do whatever under grace, or you can't. Make up your mind. And right, so, exactly. um, my argument is: yes, it does mean you can do whatever you want. That's the whole point. You know, every vice, in my opinion, every vice, every uh, whether it be you know drug addiction, every kind of um, sinful vice is you know, is a symptom of an underlying fear of an underlying problem. And so right. uh, my walk with God now is to, uh, is is a lot more open and a lot more, um, a lot less fearful. And so I feel fine, I feel okay now coming to God with the core fear that I have, the fear that I'll be alone or the fear that, uh, you know, my life doesn't mean anything, whatever these like big right. foundational exactly the really like uh foundational fears that feed all the other vices i come to yeah. to god with those things and uh and then the, the vices will or will not change based on 
the addressing of the underlying causes of them. And so since people judge other people, myself included, uh, based on very shallow means, meaning we judge each other based on what we do, based on actions, um, it's very natural to teach that God does the same thing, but God is not a human, and so he doesn't necessarily operate the way that we do. And, um, And so he sees something beyond what we do as far as who our identity you know our identity and our actions are the same thing when we look at each other but they're not the same thing when god looks at us because he sees every motivation he sees uh every again every core foundational thing that is off um and that yeah. is that has happened every you know every experience that you've been through all the stuff that another human can't see when they when they just you know judge an outward action um exactly and so, yeah, so, like, church, again, church will say, like, you know, you're saved through grace, uh, not by works, but uh, but do right, son. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, I uh, doing the right thing brought a lot of great things into my life as well. And being that person has a lot of wonderful aspects to it, even to this day, um, which right. I won't get into because it'll be just sort of me patting myself on the back, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, but there's a lot of wisdom in that, and I think that's why churches tend to lean that way and to don't do yeah. good things, don't do bad things. Um, and they should make the argument that um, that's what makes the best version of the world is denying exactly. impulse and putting honor over impulse uh, blesses your right. life and blesses the lives of everyone around you. Um, but right. it is not how you get to God. Um, right. Anyway, I don't know where it's we love- were before that. His love surpasses understanding, and so we have to we have to remember that uh, uh, as we go through life. I know that that the world teaches, uh, uh, and I say the world who's in the world, Satan's in the world. But as young people, we learn that we we feel that we have to be approved of, or we have to perform a certain way to be accepted. Right. And really, that's that's lies from the devil. Uh, and with those, we, we use the as an addict the blame game, uh, the shame game. You know, I've always been this way, so uh, I'll always be this way. Right. Or you know, or I'll show you. They run hand in hand with, with, with that, and and uh, seeking approval. Uh, and the world teaches it. We learn this as a, at a young age, not necessarily from our parents. Yeah. But um, and so that was one thing that really you know opened my eyes. Uh, it really wasn't my folks that that you know they 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 love me for who I am right but uh, and and but God does and we need to realize that that we're approved of by God and that's all that matters and and so when we can focus on that uh, uh, then that's all that matters anymore it doesn't we don't need other people's approval uh, and and we have to get out of the way that way of thinking and it's it's really hard to do uh, especially um, um, if, if you know, like I got tied up into the the drug use, you you're yeah, blinded so by before, these things, right? So let's go let's go back to the uh, to the you know the thing where you started being OCD and all that stuff. So what what age about or what age were you um, when when that stuff started? Uh, I was 16 years old. All right, cool. So yeah, so old. let's just walk from there on from like high school on to the next few phases okay. of your life. Right. Okay. Um, I was uh, 16 years old when I uh, first uh, smoked marijuana, hmm. and um, 
I guess it was a type. I really didn't want to do it at the time, uh, you know, but I, it, it's, it, it goes to the, the wanting fit in thing, I guess you could say. Um, right. So I started to smoke marijuana, um, and then the um, uh, not long after, I used cocaine for the first time. And uh, a lot of it, you know, I'm, I'm having all these other issues that I've had for a long time. Mm. And so after I, too, let me say this, after mm. I used smoked marijuana, uh, this was after I, I had the calling on my life to preach. Um, um, at that point, I felt like I was damaged goods. Mm. And and I remember uh, um, I it got to the point where I didn't even want to go to church because I thought, you know, I was the talk of the town that everybody had been saying because a lot of preachers would ask me to come speak at their church. And so, hmm. but but after I started using, I thought everybody was looking at me like, oh, you know, there he is on drugs. When really, and that was a lie from the devil because really a lot of those people never even knew it. As I, and when I talk to people now and talk about uh, my addiction, uh, they will say, oh, I never knew it. Right. So all these things, you know, was I was, you know, in my my head. The battles in our, our minds, and and so I was letting that live in my head, and and, and yeah. that wasn't helping. It was fueling the addiction. Right. But I used co- cocaine, and then um, at the time, crank uh, uh, was uh, around, and I started using. How is uh, that different? I'm the, I'm not really a drug expert. Right, right. <laughs> crank is a lot like cocaine. Is that what you asked? The yeah, difference? yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. Uh, cocaine, uh, you got, uh, 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 it, it numbs you when you use it. Uh, right. Um, and crank is different because. Is crank speed or is that a different It does not numb thing? you. It is a type of speed. Okay. It is. And it does not numb you. And it's crazy that, that we do these things to our bodies. Uh, uh, we, if you, if you was to do a line of crank, it would burn and make your eyes water and hurt, hurt, hurt. Hmm. And but the thing was, the crank would last a lot longer than the cocaine high would. Hmm. So you didn't have to do as much. And um, so I got involved in that, um, and and then it wasn't much much longer. Uh, I got uh, and I never was a drinker much, hardly at all. I just couldn't drink. Right. But I liked I liked the the speed and and I did uh, the first time I ever got arrested uh, was in 1993. And I had uh, went to a bar, and uh, and I was uh, buying marijuana at that bar, and I had had some drinks, and uh, and I just I wasn't used to drinking, so I think I might have drank three or four beer maybe, and 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 I was on my way back to somebody's house, and I had to go through town, and I actually was smoking a cigarette, and I dropped that cigarette instead of getting another one out of the pack, I tried to lean over in the car and get it. And I got pulled over by a state trooper. <laughs> and so I was actually locked up uh, at that time. And I, I had the marijuana in my pocket, and they actually locked me up. Now, back in, they weren't as, as strict as they are, you know, these days. But I was locked up with that marijuana, and uh, uh, I, I escaped that charge. But, uh, uh, but um, How'd you so escape the anyway, charge? Well, they never found it. <laughs> they never found it. The thing was, is I it was, I had it in my front pocket, and 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 I had they just never really searched me good. They searched everything, but I had on a flannel shirt, and I had that in my front pocket. And so when they locked me in the cell, I immediately took my boot off, and um and put that marijuana down in my boot. Uh, 
and uh, I was. Um, I feel uh, like this is a how-to guide now. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, we don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> nowadays, you can't get, you can't get, you can't even hardly get in the car with anything like that. So, uh, but like I said, '93, um, uh, they just wasn't as strict as, or you know, they just didn't search you like they do now and right. put you through all that they do. But um, so yeah, um, so that's what I ended up doing. And the next morning, I was bailed out. But that was the first time I was arrested. Uh, and a DUI of all things, uh, and because I just uh, my, most of my life I, I didn't drink, uh, hardly ever uh, did I drink. And uh, so yeah, then uh, then the math come along, and um, I, I had a family member uh, that actually um, 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 brought it and, and turned me on for the first time, and um, so I. I wasn't really familiar with with the ice at the time it was called, mm. um, but um, I used it and it was a lot like the crank, and so um, uh, after that um, it just was a downhill spiral. Mm. But um, so uh, then uh, later on in life I I, well, I wrecked I had another wreck I took some I went over into South Carolina and uh, I had was uh, I had a friend that had had a stroke. Actually, I found him, and I was driving. Uh, I took some Xanaxes, and I was on my way back, and I fell asleep at the wheel and wrecked and flipped the car. Mm. And um, I didn't realize at the time. I knew that I didn't realize that it had knocked me unconscious. Uh, I thought that it just jarred me, and it just happened so fast that I just didn't remember that the flip, the flip, the, the car flipping. Right. And I crawled out. The, the car, the top of the car was crushed in, and I, I ended up, I was upside down. I got my seatbelt off, and, and there was a tree limb that had went across the top of the car and and crushed the the back end, but the, the only way, I couldn't get my door open. And the only reason I really, I had had some training in first aid and, and CPR and even taught some classes um, uh, when I was younger, and uh I had a lot of things going for me. I worked, uh, I volunteered with a rescue squad and, and, and was really involved in that. But, and that was before my, I fell into this addiction. Mm. But, uh, so I knew that it wasn't be a good thing for me to move, but I smelled smoke and I thought the car was on fire. So I crawled out and I ended up crawling out from in the back. I undone my seatbelt, dropped down and I crawled around and crawled out between the tree. And that was across the back. I barely had enough room to get out, but um, and I got arrested for a DUI uh, at that point. Uh, mm. And so, uh, and then I never thought I'd never do pills. I just never was a pill person. Mm. And um, I, I had left um, in 2001. I started uh, taking pain pills and. Um, I had um why why you like how did you start uh, or whatever did you have uh, some kind well, of well I just I, I would take I had tried them and and every time I would uh every time I would try to uh uh take a pain pill I'd swallow it then I'd be sick in my stomach right and so that's really why I never did get into pills until later um until later you know in two thousand till two thousand one and I found out though that if I chewed them up that I wouldn't get sick of my stomach, hmm. and the high would hit me. So 
what started out as taking a couple of pain pills a couple of times a day uh, turned into a 30 pill a day habit. Now, uh, I was eat, eating lower tabs. Now, I'd take 10 in the morning, 10 after lunch, and 10 in the evening. Mm. And um, I was with some people, or some people were staying with me, and the the uh, the, the people's uh, the, the girl and two brothers' dad had been had had several strokes, and several heart attacks, but he would not take the pain pills. He wanted Tylenol, so she, they ended up saving putting those back. So mm. for a good two years, uh, I had a supply. Mm. Uh, uh, of lower tabs and I ate every day and then uh, after those were gone they continued to help me to help feed my habit my fault I made the decision but right. but uh, they were trying to uh, trying to make sure I couldn't I didn't even want to get out of bed if I didn't have a pain pill mm. uh, but and I realized later when I did uh, when the, the 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 supply finally run out how much it was a lot you know in my mind but not only was I eating those pain pills, I was eating uh, uh, Roxy's uh, too, along with it. And uh, back at, the, at that time, there was not a lot of people uh, shooting those pills, right? Um, like what do they you, do today, right? What do you, yeah? And there's so many people now that they have a legitimate injury, and then they get hooked on them, and then you know, and then it's, yes. that cycle is a part of their of, of a part of their life. What do you think the right. What do you think the drugs were helping you run away from? Well, I think I didn't really understand. In 1989, I went into um, uh, one of the best treatment centers in the world, and uh, I remember my dad coming to me and telling me, "You know, you could get help if you want it." Uh, it now that I look back on it, it was really a thing to just kind of suffice or you know make everybody happy i guess because hmm. uh, i didn't make it I, i've done 30 something days there and i didn't when i come out i was i was not i, I didn't even stay clean a month hmm. but um I, now that since i i went through treatment in penfield um i realize now that a lot of going back the, the anxiety and, and depression stuff is there hmm. it got worse when i started to use right and and so i went on disability uh, it got so bad, and I draw disability for quite a while up until I got clean. And when I got clean, uh, a lot of these things just just left, and a lot of it was just uh, a habit. Uh, right. Um, so, a, but anyway, a negative like mental routine that has a certain like comfort level associated with it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So helping me deal with these things, but after I went through treatment uh, at Penfield. Um, when I, I went in in January, and when I went in in January um, through uh, uh, with my counselor and all, after I started writing these things down and working these steps, um, I realized that a lot of it was me being called to preach at an early age, and it was a lot of weight on me. Now I'm not saying God didn't do it, you know, didn't do something right at all, mm -hmm. but uh, the way I I dealt with it. I, I, it was a it was a load, but when I used, uh, like I said earlier, 
I thought then when I smoked that marijuana, I'm damaged goods now. Mm. I'm, I'm no good for nothing. Mm. And, and so, so it just, right. So being damaged goods sort of took the responsibility off your shoulders internally to where you felt like right now i don't have to worry about that i'm clearly not that guy anymore i don't have to worry about that right Mm. right and 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 then you know you 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 start thinking that you've let all these people down and like i said earlier um a lot of them didn't even know in the beginning Mm. but here your mind's starting to tell you that oh you let this person down and wonder what they think and i remember going to church I'd try to get in church and, and do better, and uh, I would make it just a, a short while. But I was always sitting there thinking that the other people were thinking, well, I wonder how long he's going to make it this time. Right. And That's so, such a uh, huge that, thing that, because, like, uh, I that is the one, that's the one thing that keeps every person from going uh, from, like, personal progress in a positive direction where we're so – uh, preoccupied with the idea that other people are are judging us when in reality like right. they they notice and they might even point and laugh but they don't care exactly. because they are obsessed with themselves you know like exactly even someone that They're i point only. and make fun of like i still immediately go back to me thinking about me and my problems and you know and most people don't care what you do at all uh really they're not they're just not thinking about you and uh exactly. they're just really self-obsessed so speak for me <laughs> yeah yeah uh, we yeah realizing too that uh now it's, it's a big thing that i i preach if you will uh, uh, uh god is all about love and um i don't want to to be you know involved in in use and being right up in it unless god tells me to be but um um, we need to show all these that are having these issues, hmm. show them God's love. And uh, right. if if I see a lot of people, a lot of churches judge. I, I even when I'm witnessing and talking to people about the Lord now, um, that that are are uh, still in active addiction or whatever, they say, "Well, I don't want to go to that church. It's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites." <laughs> but what I try to tell them, I try to encourage them. I say, "Look, you be the one to go to that church and show them how it's supposed to be done." And so, um, well, yeah, well, I mean, every single, yeah, every person is a hypocrite. So the question is not, are they hypocrites? The question is, are they honest about where their, uh, where their hypocrisy lies or do they cover it up? Because it is there. Exactly. That is not news to anyone, including me, you, the person saying that every person in that church, I, I understand the sentiment. The sentiment is they are pretending they don't have anything that they're struggling with, and that really turns me off, right. and I totally get that. That really is, um, that's kind of a repulsive thing, but uh, but right. even that, even their desire to save face and their desire to project um, a flawless version of themselves goes back to a right. core foundational right. fear of some kind. Um, exactly. Just like the addict's no, uh, thing is driven by fear. Right, and 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 and. We have to realize that we all, not just addicts, but we all suffer from hurts, habits, and hangups. Yeah, there. So, yeah, uh, every person yeah. has simple needs, and right. every vice is a response to usually a response to some kind of fear or some kind of uh, unmet need, and and or or to some kind of uh, tragedy that happened in the past that you know that right. people never really deal with, so it never goes away. 
and uh, mm-hmm. and every day is a reaction to some kind of past pain that never healed and that was never right. addressed. Right, mm-hmm. right. So tell me about um, Penfield and what was different about the way that they did rehabilitation and why it uh, why it was a different experience. Well, Penfield, uh, they're religious-based. Uh, uh, right, um, right. But I think the things that I was searching for, the big, a couple of big things that that uh, that really, even to the day that I I left to go down there, I, I tried to avoid that for a, a good two weeks. Uh, and I remember standing in my yard, my mother, my dad, my son, uh, and they said they they told me they said if you don't go today, they're not going to take you. Hmm. And uh, so I remember then uh, I looked out. We live in the, the mountains here, and I looked out over the mountains. And I just, I broke down, and and uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I knew that that I was just in bad shape, and mm-hmm. so uh, the ride down was just a lot of crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I cried myself. Well, I know I did. I cried myself to sleep, mm-hmm. uh, and I remember waking up as we pulled up at Penfield and went in. But but uh, the thing is, they you know everybody they they meet you at Penfield with a a fist bump and say great day and you're in the right place and and uh they made me feel like i was they were my family right off the bat Mm -hmm. but teaching um um teaching um uh helping we done a self-worth thing uh every morning and and we would sing victory in jesus and uh they they we we'd go around in the beginning and they'd uh somebody like when i first got there they had two or three guys in the center and they would say Who's got that victory? And then we'd all say, we've got that victory. <laughs> and uh, so we'd do that, and then we would uh, do a self-worth thing where we said we are uh, dynamically and individually unique. There'll never be another like, like me in the history of mankind. And so we'd done these things every morning, and um, mm. immediately when I started hearing these things, it just it fired me up. Um, uh, and And... At that point, did I start feeling like, hey, uh, you know, I'm gonna be able to preach again, uh, right? You know, because, you know, and so. And I want to address that. I want to address that because, uh, yeah, it's not. And you mentioned this at the beginning that Penfield is is very uh, intertwined with, you know, with belief in in Christ. That that without uh, Jesus, that sort of self worth thing would have no uh, substance behind it. That if it's just me telling me right. that I'm great, then I will know deep right. down that that's a lie because I know that I made it up. Right. It is only when it is exactly. attached to someone or something that created yes. us that gave worth yes. based on the fact that we are the son or it daughter. It becomes of... real. Yeah, and, yes. um, and the other really important thing about that and again, if I was in that situation for a long time, I would probably, uh, I would probably mock it or think it was silly or whatever. But the thing that it does that is so important is that it is, uh, it is a visual and outward um, gesture that is moving your identity from all the things that you're doing wrong to something yeah. more than that. To uh, the being that God created you to your soul to who you know who God created you as a human that it is not the same thing as the actions that the being comes first and that the being is the important part and that if you focus on 
the actions, good or bad, um, then you're not addressing yes. the, you know, then you, you know, then you live and die by those standards. You live and die by doing good or doing bad. But yeah, if right. God sees something more than the outward expression of who we are, if he actually knows who we are and actually cares about who we are, then uh, then you don't really have to worry about the outward actions uh, at all at that point. Exactly. Because, again, because of the foundational things are being addressed that drive every vice. Um, yeah, let's move from there. So uh, what happened after that? Um. Okay, so uh, let me go back just a little bit before Penfield. Right. Um, tell you a little bit about how the Lord started dealing with me. Uh, I have been a banjo picker and guitar player for about 33 years mm. uh, or more. I guess a little more that, than that, actually. But um, I had uh, went up uh, on some uh, government property, and it was – they have a campground, and, and then they have a horse camp also. And I went up way up into the to, – to the uh, uh, past the horse camp, got way up in the woods. Uh, I was in the dead middle of my addiction, um, and I was getting – I wanted to get the guitar out and play a little bit that morning. So I pulled my guitar out, thought I was far away from everybody. And that nobody would hear me, and I played and sang, uh, sung some a few songs, and I started coming. I got back. I was probably there an hour, and I started coming back down the mountain, and I got to this horse camp, and I seen this man uh, come running from his uh, horse trailer, um, his camper, and and um, I thought he was really going to run behind me across the road, but as he got, I kept easing up, and as he got closer, he kept coming right directly for me, and so I finally stopped and rolled my window down, and he said, um, did you hear the angels singing? And I kind of laughed, and I, I said, I don't know about any angels singing. I said, but uh, I said I was up there, but I thought it was far enough away that nobody could hear me. Uh, I said, I was up there playing singing some. He said, I don't know about all that. He said, but there's a lady that's been here for 14 days. She was from Murphy, North Carolina, and she said that um, that when she she couldn't be at home, her her brother had died 14 days uh, prior to that day, and uh, he uh, said, but this morning she's packing up to go home because she heard an angel singing, and so I I that I knew that the, being raised in a good Christian home, I knew what God could do, but here I was, you know, in my addiction, and and here these people, this guy's coming up telling me he heard an angel sing, this lady's heard an angel sing, and and so he said, she's packing up because since she heard the angels singing, uh, she felt like that was a sign from her brother and from God. And so I talked to the gentleman a minute, and I went ahead to pull on out. It was on a gravel road, and you have to cross the creek. And I crossed the creek, and I started pulling on. And I looked in my side of the mirror, and I seen two horses coming at a run. And I thought, these people just outrun their horses on this dirt road. So as they got closer, I pulled over to let them on by. And as they got up to me, uh, I, they stopped. And I, I rolled my window down, and I remember leaning down to look up at them on that horse, the man and his wife. And, and she said, I just want to thank you for doing what you've done. And she said, because of you, I'm going home this morning. Hmm. And um, she said a song that I was singing was one that her brother had sung. Hmm. And um, so that was the first time. that 
I, I was kind of shocked, uh, you know, in, in the middle of my addiction. God got my attention there. Mm. And so I left. And now at this time, I was missing. Uh, I had three warrants on me, and, and I was running from that. So I, I'm, I'm up in Tennessee, and um, uh, one other little story where I, I went to, uh, I had got so bad that I got rid pawned all my, my instruments. I didn't have nothing to play. And I kept going into this, this store in, in Dillsboro, North Carolina, or in, in Silver, North Carolina. And I'd go in the back, and they have room for the acoustic instruments. And I'd sit and sing and play a little bit just to get to do that. And, and I'd, I'd look around, and I'd leave. So I didn't have a guitar, and I went in there one day, and the woman said, you really sang good? She said, uh, what kind of instrument, or what kind of guitar do you have? And I said, that I don't have one. And so she, uh, at that time, she she asked me if she, it would be okay if she prayed for me, and I'll never forget it. And uh, hmm. so I told her yes, and uh, and uh, so I went back again, and she said, look, she said, you see that guitar hanging over there? Well, it was a black guitar. It had red flames going down the front of it, acoustic <laughs> guitar, and it was for, uh, hanging on the under $100 rack. Hmm. She said, I tell you what, she said, um, uh, I'll sell you that guitar. I said, ma'am, I don't have the money to buy that. And she said, well, I'll sell it to you for a dollar. And I said, ma'am, I don't have a dollar. And I didn't at the time. And she said, well, you can owe me. And so she let me have that guitar. Hmm. And so anyway, I, I was missing uh, my mom and dad. They didn't know where I was at. Uh, I went up in Tennessee, and I I went into uh, uh uh, the Smoky Mountains there, and into Cades Cove, and um, I was uh, in the middle of my addiction. I was doing a 16th of meth every two days, smoking a half a bag of marijuana every two days. But I went into the. I want to go. I in thought you didn't have a dollar. Just because the sound in those churches are just awesome. I thought and, you didn't have uh, a dollar. How so are you I doing in, all these drugs? Uh, the first church. Huh? <laughs> I thought you didn't have I a dollar. Will, I was. Uh, I did. Well, no, I didn't at the time when I bought that. But I had, uh, and I didn't. I was thieving. I was stealing mm. uh, to get money and get drugs. I was, yes. Mm. So uh, uh, my money was going, or anything, any money I got or whatever I got, I was trading for uh, the drugs. Mm. So um, I ended up going into uh, those old churches, and um, I went into, there's three of them, and I, I went into the first one that you come to around the loop there, and I I sat down and uh, I was just really just uh, having an awful time. I, I I wanted to be home and and I didn't. I wanted wanted to talk to my parents, but I, I just wasn't wasn't calling them. wasn't letting anybody know where I was at. So anyway, I started singing a gospel song, uh, which was one that uh, I sung when the lady heard me heard me uh, up at the horse camp, and uh, it was called "Let the Spirit Descend." And so I started to sing and and. Uh, people would come in and they were crying and, and uh, uh, telling me that they thought they heard an angel or sounded like an angel singing. So here I'm starting to hear this again, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking, boy, I, I'm nowhere near that. And uh, some people would say, I was radio playing in here. But people started to come, and they're in and out of there in, in just a few minutes, and they come from all over the world. 
I had uh, one guy come in one day, and he sat. I was sitting up front playing and singing, and he was sitting on the second bench on the right from the front. And as I sung with the Spirit of Sin, he stared over that front bench. And me being around church, I, I knew when somebody was under conviction or dealing with something, you know, you can tell. And so when I got done singing Let the Spirit of Sin, he cried and he hit himself on the, on the chest with his fist. And he come to me with a $10 bill. And I told him, I said, sir, I can't take that here. I said, I could lose my privilege to sing. And uh, so he walked, started walking out of the church. And when he got back to the, the threshold of the church, I heard the Lord speak to me just as plain as day and said, sing another one. Hmm. So I started singing a song called Drifting Too Far From The Shore. The man had made it out, outside. He was out of sight. When I started singing that song, he come back in and sat down second bench from the back on the right and i sung that song and when i got done he hit himself he was bawling he hit himself on the chest again with his fist give me a thumbs up and smiled and i knew that the lord had done something for it mm. so here i am in the middle of, addi of addiction and 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 god starting to show me that i'm worth something he's starting to help me with my self-worth mm. and while he's doing it he's helping others um i had a gentleman come to me uh, I, I, got, I was seeing so many things done every day that I would just drive around and wait for the gate to open because I, I could not wait to see what God was going to do in somebody's life, you know, that day. And I would sing in all three of these churches a couple of hours. And um, so one guy come to me one day, and it was late one evening, and uh, I was in the last church uh, there on the loop, and uh, he come up to me. I was taking my guitar out. He come up to me, and he said, you said your name was Joey? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, my name's Carl. He said, I'm 57 years old. He said, I'm from New York. He said, Joey, as a young man, I went to church with my family. He said, but when I got older, he said, uh, teenager, and started running around with my friends, he said, I, I quit going to church, and I've not been back since. He said, Joey, I've been the meanest man all my life. Mm. He said, I'm telling you, Joey, I've been mean. He said, nobody will call me on my cell phone. And they won't answer me if I call them. He said, the only way I can talk to anybody is send them a text. He said, Joey, I've been mean. Everybody hates me. And so he says, um, he said, he said normally I would, I would drive through and look at everything here. He said, and I wouldn't stop at this church. But he said, now I know why I did. He said, as of today, God working through you has changed my life. He said, when I get back to New York, they're not going to know who I am. So I'm just blown away that all these things are happening. I, my voice had got so, um, so uh, I got so hoarse from singing so much, uh, I couldn't sing. So I went downtown Gatlinburg, and um, there was a. I ran into a couple of black men. They did not know I played music or sung anything. And uh, one of the black men come up to me and he said, uh, "Young man." He said, God just dropped something on me and wants me to tell you. Mm. And uh, now I've just hit on a couple of things that happened in Cage Cove. It was just, i seen what most people will never see their whole life just in a short time. But this man, he says, God just dropped something on me and wants me to tell you. And he said, um, God said that you were going through a change. And I remember thinking to myself, boy, if you only knew. And I was so hoarse. He said, maybe it's your voice. And I was thinking, no, sir, no. And he said, God said to tell you uh, that the stages in this, you know, all around this town are yours. 
He said to tell you that the stages all over our, our country and all over the world are yours. He said, God said you had some things to go through. And again, I was in the middle of my addiction. Mm. and But God was showing me myself worth up in the code. And uh, uh, he said, God said you had some things to go through to tell you to get up and walk, and he'd take care of the rest. And so I was in um, uh, uh, here. The Lord speaking to me again through somebody that didn't know me, didn't know I played or sung or anything. And so I'm I'm starting to say, "Okay, Lord, I, I hear you." Where I'm at today is uh, unbelievable. Uh, I I started singing a lot. Um, I go around to a lot of churches, give my testimony, and sing. Um, I. I'm involved in a, uh, a couple of programs, uh, Celebrate Recovery for one. Mm. Uh, the Lighthouse is a, a place we go. We have a meeting called Addicts at the Cross, and I'm involved with that. We also have a service on Saturday night, um, and and it's at the Lighthouse. And, and really, it's a bunch of addicts that get together that have uh, been delivered. Some are still dealing with their addiction, mm. uh, but we don't turn anybody away uh, uh, we just show them the love of the Lord and welcome them in. Mm. Um, and uh, I just have a desire to see, because the devil makes these things look like they're so hard to, to beat or to overcome, uh, when really, you know, he makes you feel like there's a block wall there, but really it's just a curtain. We just need to pull it back and take a step uh, through, you know. But um, uh, uh, just really working to... Um, uh, help people get into uh, mm. treatment, uh, have whatever that may be, or wherever it might be. Some people need, and I, I do believe that God can deliver somebody right then and there. But right. uh, God's got different ways of helping people. Yeah. And so, and and, and really now, I'm just uh, doing a lot. There's a um, a guy that I actually run into in my addiction. Uh, ended up calling me up one day. He he saw some of my videos of me singing. He calls me up and he says, "Look," he said, "I've got all these cameras." And I, he said, I know you're going to, you can, you, you sing well. Everybody loves to hear you sing. And so he ends up showing up at my doorstep and pretty much takes me under, under his wing. We're working on an album now. Mm. And, and we're doing uh, videos. Uh, I sing a song called Ride Out Your Storm. And, um, uh, Great. Are they, are they songs right that you wrote? Huh? Are they songs that you wrote? No, uh, okay. well, uh, some some are, right. and and some are others. Okay. Uh, the song uh, "Right Out Your Storm" I did not write, but right. we're doing a video with it. That's great. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, I've got some stuff now on YouTube. We're doing uh, uh, working on an album. Uh, just the doors are really opening up everywhere. Uh, uh, just it's it's unbelievable. Mm. And so I've had a lot of opportunities now that me and another brother of mine who was a, a he says a career criminal uh for years uh mm. he preaches and so it's amazing to go from what i was mm. to ending up leading leading a, a a worship service him preaching it and me doing the music mm. and and that's just how god is mm. you know he takes the broken ones the ones who have struggled and been through so many so much you know heartache and 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 he'll use them yeah well thank you so much Always and uh, know that we have a purpose and this has been great and i will uh i will hit you up when it when it comes out here in, in a couple weeks and uh okay and i appreciate you making the time man 
Okay, brother. Thank, Thank you, you so have much. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.